Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of How to Do Drugs. I am your host, Aliyah Janine, and today, all the way from the West Coast, I have Babe West with me. Hey, Babe, how are you? <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. It's great out here. I bet. Yeah, no, it's fucking freezing here in New York right now. Mother Nature is very fickle. Like one day it was like 50 and then it dropped down to like 10 and then it was snowing. Like it started snowing and then 20 minutes later it just started raining and then it just rained for the rest of the night and then it was up 40 and now it's back down to like the mid 30s. So it's just, it's everywhere. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sounds like y'all live in Oregon, actually. Yeah. How is it? Is it um well because you guys have snow there, right? I'm <laughs> absolutely. Um, so we have the Cascades and then um I'm up in Portland and people are like, it rains all the time there. I'm like, well, yeah, maybe kind of. I think you're thinking about Seattle. Yeah, they Seattle's have more good. rainy days and gray, mm-hmm. but um Oregon weather, you even in the summer pack a jacket, have a long sleeve, have a short sleeve. It's layers because, uh, you go inside, you come back out and it's a different weather out there. Yeah. It's, um, I'm originally from Wisconsin. So it was always, um, it could be summer in the morning or it'll be like really cold in the morning, like spring, and then it'd be summer and then it'd be winter at the night. Like it just, it's so crazy and, and climate change and stuff, you know, obviously that has nothing to do with it. Uh, <laughs> nothing at all. Nothing at all. So yeah. So I always make sure I have at least two pairs of pants on when I go outside <laughs> two pairs of everything. Um, it's crazy. So how is, um, the wonderful state of Oregon? You guys were going through some stuff the past couple summers. I saw. <laughs> yeah. It's always like you, you live in Portland and they're like Oregon or Maine. And I'm like, Oregon. And they're like, Oh, how are you are you safe and uh you know i i'm i'm from texas originally uh i got a gg who lived up in uh chicago mm-hmm. um back back long before it got like nice like it is now but um so like i'm like yeah i'm good i i, I don't have any problems so portland's great um oregon's always been i mean other than its history has been a great state um yeah, i moved yeah. up there 11 years ago this year and um to grow weed, <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah. I, I <laughs> up here and, um, I've just seen a lot of, um, social advancement, um, the housing price, like I left the Bay area, it's following the same kind of trends, but mm-hmm. for the most part, um, I love it. It's great food, great people, um, yeah. hot spot to everywhere. You can fly anywhere within like two hours. Yeah. If you yeah, go yeah. up to Seattle, it's a 30 minute flight. You want to go down to LA. It's like a two hour flight uh, Vegas where I am right now, uh, is like a two hour flight. So I love it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I've, uh, I've done, I've been there a couple of times doing shows and stuff like that. And it is, um, convenient to, to get to and to get out of, which is really nice. Uh, what part of Texas did you used to live in? I used to live in Garland when I was younger. Oh, well, I was born in Atascosa. So, um, County, um, I lived right outside, uh, Bear County in Canyon Lake. So, San Antonio area, a mm. little bit south. Um, when I tell people that I grew up in a green rolling hills, beautiful mm. lakes and rivers, they're like in Texas. And I'm like, yeah. And they they're have like, it no. there. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you've either been to the panhandle where it's flat or out to El Paso where it's desert. But I tell mm. you, it's gorgeous in Texas too. So yeah, no, Texas does have some, um, it does have some really great areas, uh, driving through Texas though, which I have done, um, not fun. It's not, it's, there's no rolling Hills or grass. No, it is. <laughs> I think it took wow. me eight hours. It took me eight hours and at least a gram of Coke to get through. <laughs> <laughs> 
I believe that all of Texas be like, it's like driving through Indiana. It's like I, whenever I go back home, um, cause I like to drive, you know, I bring my dog. I always make sure that I, that I leave at a time. So when I'm driving through Indiana, it's at night. So I don't have to see <laughs> the nothingness that is Indiana, but Texas is great. Um, so tell me a little bit, bit about yourself. So you're, um, you're in the adult industry, correct. Which yes, is great. Um, and you've been a dancer and you just started getting into like adult films or like fetish stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, so um, I've done some fetish modeling on and off for over a decade. Uh, I ran a pretty successful Tumblr back in the day, and that's kind of how I got into that. Um, and I've always had uh, usually dudes going, hey, can I take your photo? I'm, I'm a photographer. Yeah, I love that. Um, <laughs> and I've done some um, contract work with like amateur sites over the lot because, you know, whenever you need a quick like few hundred bucks, like, hey, I knew that this was available to mm-hmm. me. Um, but actually coming into the uh, porn industry, um, I started about, this will be my third year. Um, I was working a job at a magazine, uh, otherwise quote unquote successful. um, And I was really tired of IT and tech. Uh, I was really tired of talking to like old white dudes and having them constantly tell me I I was wrong and then being the one to fix the shit. So um, I I was in the server room one day and it was my first video I ever posted. I was like, okay, well, I've been showing my tits online here and there on and off for years. So what if I just, uh, you know, like masturbate it in the server room and no one was there, but you know, people don't know that when you got the door open on the camera. And yeah, yeah, so like, yeah. I just like sat it there and did the thing, uh, did the deed, uh, was like, Oh, that was fun. Um, a little nerve wracking. And then I'm like, Oh shit, I should probably clean this up. Cause, uh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, I posted that shit on Pornhub and everybody like loved the fuck out of it. And I was like, okay, well started doing, um, just solo stuff, uh, as it were. And then people started reaching out. I've been a sex worker in many capacities for years. So I'd already had multiple Twitter accounts by that time, um, (laughs) where I was connected with people in other aspects of sex work and, um, went to, uh, the Exotica, the one and only that they hosted in Portland in 2019 Mm -hmm. and, uh, met people. And I was fortunate enough to use those, uh, you know, really leverage those contacts, uh, during the pandemic. Um, I switched jobs by that time. I was in the brewing industry doing software implementation and building databases and all this really boring stuff in a oh, really cool- I mean, that's cool though. That's still, <laughs> I'm like, that's cool. I like building stuff. <laughs> oh, it, it was, but like you're working with C-Core companies that like they're running businesses and like yeah. they're paying up front all this freaking money. And like, I was so much stress um, for not enough money. And I was like, I'm done with this. And mm-hmm. sure enough, um, they had let go basically my whole team other than one person, uh, cause brewing, brewing industry, like they had to take all their like in-house stuff. They shut down. They couldn't, they had to either throw it back into bright tanks or like, you know, further, further bottle it, whatever they were going to do. Mm-hmm. A lot ended up, um, turning into sanitizer and all this stuff. Oh. And, um, people didn't want software as a service. So, um, they got, they were trying to get out of their contracts. And, uh, mm-hmm. so the company let us all go, gave us a decent severance. And then, um, I was like, well, hmm, what am I going to do from here? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what if you legitimize this whole thing and actually go for it? Mm -hmm. So I dove right in. Good. Yeah. That's how, um, that's how it works. That's kind of how I did it too. I was like, I'm just going to make one movie. And then I'm like, I really like it. And then I ended up doing it for four years to go back when, when you said of doing the solo stuff, how I was like really nerve wracking. Like the first video I ever did, it was for the score group and it was like solo masturbation. And that 
was so like, it was like, I had more anxiety doing that than I did with my first scene performing with another person. Isn't that strange how that works? I was like, you do this all the time, but normally when you masturbate, like you are by yourself, or maybe you may have a partner with you or something like that. So it is, um, I, I completely relate to that. Like, I, I just want to make thing. clear. I do not like when I pleasure myself, I'm not like spread open, <laughs> like in the angle doing all the things. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm in, I'm in like in one position. I normally have my phone in my hand and <laughs> you know, uh, it's not what people want to necessarily watch on TV when they want to jerk off. So yeah. like, um, I definitely, uh, it, it was, it was more of a, I've always been an exhibitionist, but like that whole like Mm -hmm. self-pleasuring. And I've talked about this a few times, like it isn't just like touching yourself for the other person. It, you actually have to know your body and and get into it. And it's a, an intimate expose and, um, Mm -hmm. you're literally the one under the microscope. So, um, it, it's, it's still to this day is when I'm doing solo stuff, I'm like, uh, what do I do again? I oh, know, wow. right? <laughs> Every time I had to film a solo scene for like the website that I had, I'm like, oh, this is going to fucking suck today. Just have to, <laughs> because you don't get to do it the way that you want it to, you know what I mean? Like, cause you are a performer. So you are making content for other people to see. Like if people don't want to see me masturbate like regular, <laughs> like how I normally do it. Like, it's like a dude, how they're just like all hunched over and stuff. It's like terrifying. <laughs> like, it's not sexy. Like I'm no, doing this for a purpose. For the pleasure is it's not exactly. And, um, the same thing, I guess, like when you're having sex with others on camera, but usually if you have a videographer, they're moving mm-hmm. around angles, like mm-hmm. people are giving you feedback while you go. Um, I often lift your leg to, up. <laughs> yeah. And when I have somebody recording my solo stuff, you know, they're more focused on getting close ups and stuff. They're not directing me per se because yeah. most people are like, yeah, you touch your body the way you're going to touch it. And yeah, you, you got this. I believe in you. <laughs> so you had said that, um, that you moved to Oregon to grow weed. Is that correct? Like, like, do you, do you grow weed? Cause it's legal there. There's a bunch of shit legal there now. Um, <laughs> Well, I left uh, the Bay Area, um, Santa Cruz, um, Mm -hmm. and slowly made my way up north from Trinity and everything. And I was involved in a couple of grow co-ops where we put money in and then like some people would be working the project. And then Mm -hmm. we come back during harvest season, like co-op share, like childcare, all these other resources. Um, I was once very against Babylon. I I was going to live off the grid and all that. And then Mm -hmm. um, eventually uh, it just wasn't really feasible for my lifestyle. My last grow was in 2017. I actually okay. got a, um, I had a friend send me a picture cause they were pulling out some of the, the, the shake and trim from 2017. Mm-hmm. I was like, you guys still have that in buckets. Tell me you're not smoking it. And they're right? like, only, oh. only when we're out. And I'm like, Oh, it was like star dog. And I don't even remember what my last, but yeah, we did that for eight years. And then, um, I had kids, so I was never there full time. I just like Mm-hmm. Put money and then in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and honestly, up in Oregon, the way they're doing it, and I've kind of heard other states, it's it's turned into the business of weed, um, mm-hmm. and that kind of shifts the whole dynamic and who's growing, who's producing. And in Oregon, we can't buy from out of state, so all of our product has to be grown and state, processed yeah. and made in state which is kind of cool in a way when you're thinking yeah. by local and all that. I do. I do like that about Oregon. Um, 
specifically and, and like especially because there are still so many people who are incarcerated for weed that are literally still in jail to this day, but they they live in states who are now decriminalizing it. And um, Oregon has that thing where it's like, I believe, um, I believe I read it. I believe it was Oregon where it's like, oh, if you were ever in jail for this, like, like I know they released a bunch of people and they were like the first people in line to like get a lot of jobs or like dispensaries and, and grows, which I think is great. And I think that that's really necessary because once, once old white men start getting into it and, and like it's in the stock market, you know what I mean? Then but like I still buy from like I have a cart here in New York, but I still buy from like my local dealers, you know, <laughs> like I have a problem. Like I don't want to end up buying Marlboro weed or like, you know, Newport or Newport weed or something like that. And I'm sure it will come to that. Hopefully I'm dead by then <laughs> when it comes to that. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is really crazy because um, when we first started growing, we were getting uh, our clones from DJ Shorts, and um, and it was right as the medical clubs were coming into California, and then like there was all this uh, new product we were creating. You know, edibles were still being made in your grandma's kitchen, not yeah. not in a, not in the factory, coming to you all cutely packaged, and mm-hmm. um, there were hella strains for sure, but even, even the, the potency, the flavor strains, it was a lot easier to keep in the talk of, um, what was strain specific. And we, we weren't as nuanced, like people were getting all their data from high times and yeah. all the, <laughs> the events like, um, mm-hmm. and now everybody's like a pot expert. Everybody knows somebody who's grown or has grown. Um, and I, I, you said marble weed, like mm-hmm. I'd love to be able to go to the grocery store and just pick up my weed, but, um, Mm-hmm. you know, we go in and you can buy ounces for $40 now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, and I mean, yeah, it's like probably last door's harvest outside, but there's no seeds in it. It's mm-hmm. not, it, it's not, it hasn't been harmed or anything. Like it's, it is crazy. I, yeah, the, the quality of, of weed has definitely changed from, from when I was like in high school and, and even in my twenties, I remember you know, buying weed that was like rolled up in, oh, it also depended on where I got the weed. <laughs> but it'd be a couple of times, it'd just be like a ball of fucking tin foil and it just literally be sticks and stems and, and seeds and just dirt weed basically. And like, I remember like the weed that I would steal from my mom was just always like really shitty. And then, and then, and then I started seeing like the actual like nuggets, like real like yes. little nuggets. And I'm like, wait, that's what we, and then you see the, the crystals and the smell of it. And I'm like, Whoa, like now, like my tolerance is obviously a lot higher than, than what it used to be when I was younger, but an eighth would last me a whole week. It would be like, yo, this stuff is really strong. And now, I mean, I, I've cut down a bit. I, I, I'm on my robot weed. I live in a non-smoking building. So <laughs> I can't really smoke in here. It is, um, it's crazy how, how the, the potency of it and now, especially with edibles and stuff, because you have to look at the FDA, um, be, because like when we would make edibles, like one brownie would definitely be stronger than, you know, than, than the other brownie because of mixing and stuff like that. And now they actually have to be like accurately, you know, measured out, be like, yeah. this is a hundred milligrams and, or, or whatever it may be, which is good because I've definitely eaten some stuff that I didn't think was as strong. And then I'm just down for 15 hours. <laughs> Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, it is really cool. The science of it. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not really hip to the business of it because ultimately the more and more it goes, it's the people who already have 
money, power, resources, yeah. um, literally millions of dollars. That yeah. Even, and like, be able to sell it. Like I've been trying to buy a building in Portland forever. And I mean, warehouses, you, they're, they're growing pot, they're growing pot, they're processing pot. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen, and I think these machines and everything, yeah, sure. It's great. Um, but those were also paid jobs. And I always think of the fact that Oregon, and I think maybe Rhode Island, there's one other state on the East coast mm-hmm. that we have attendants that pump your gas. I haven't pumped gas in a decade, y'all. So I, I, I always travel with somebody when I'm on a road trip because I'm like, uh, I don't do that. That is hilarious. There's a couple. Um, we were in New Jersey. Um, we went to a football game and yeah, they had a gas station attendant. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? I'm like, there's this dude by your car. And they're like, he's pumping gas. And I'm like, what? They still have those. I didn't even know that they still exist. <laughs> it's Jersey. I knew it was one of those States over there in the, um, so, some of them. Yeah. Like, right. Cause it's like right off a highway kind of thing. So it's like, they, they don't really want you to like get in out of your car or whatever. I mean, yeah, that's great. I, I do like it when people do stuff for me. I believe in those, um, otherwise unnecessary jobs, like the, the people who check your receipt at the Costco or the Sam's club or whatever. Yeah, like, the, um, that's normally like, like an old dude, you know, who's retired, who just like, like sometimes they actually are trying to like just survive, but sometimes it's just a dude who just needs to, you know, to get out of the fucking house for a little bit, which is, which is sweet. But yeah, it is one of those jobs that you're just like, they still have those, you know, <laughs> but I mean, pretty so- Oh, go ahead. No, it was definitely going to hit the weed industry eventually, right? Like people don't trim the way they used to and Mm -hmm. you don't, growers aren't making the money that the brokers are now doing. And I think that's what every industry does. The salespeople, Mm -hmm. the people pitching it and getting it in the places tend to make more money. And then the people that own the businesses buying it and selling it are making the money. Like, yeah, it is insane. But, um, do they, oh, go ahead. Oh, do they have machines to like trim weed now instead of Oh yeah. Like not as good. Um, but yeah, like definitely quick and you're, you're busting it out where it would be like people sitting and and like like the hippie girl, the white hippie girl with blonde dreadlocks. And she's like there for three hours. You know what I mean? I've seen. Yeah. And like, she's got the wool on and then she goes to the grocery store and she's got like little tiny pieces of nugget on her. Yeah. Just Um, everywhere. (laughs) Oregon, uh, you know, at least with the laws, like keeping all of our stuff local to the state, not bringing in exports and stuff like that. It Mm -hmm. does. It allows us to control like farm. Like we know the soil, we know all the data there. We, Mm um, it, it gives a lot more insight to the quality of product. Mm-hmm. Um, even if people are able to like cut out the workforce through modernization, I, I yeah. just go. Um, but some of the other things that Oregon's doing, because we really mm-hmm. are spearheading things is we did decriminalize and we also have changed our expungement laws as yeah. of this year. Yeah. Um, talk about that. Yeah. So, um, with the expungement, now people can come in, there's, um, no blocking period for multiple convictions. Um, so basically if you wanted to expunge something, you'd have to do it one at a time. You'd have to wait a certain amount of time. Um, Mm -hmm. and then like, uh, non-person class B felonies are eligible, um, after seven years instead of 20 years. Wow. So imagine your life, like the whole point of incarceration supposedly is to, uh, rehabilitate you. Yeah. (laughs) Take people out of society so they can like learn, like, you know, have some type of penal penalty and then be eventually integrated back in. Right. But that's not what happens. And we don't need to go into that. I'm not going to (laughs) argue with that. Like, I don't argue with people that are like, oh yeah, we do though. And I'm like, 
Have you ever had a parole officer? Have you seen people <laughs> go through hoops based on like attitude and like, anyway, long story short, yeah. um, we've gone ahead and removed that barrier. We're mm -hmm. uh, definitely moving away, like nonviolent offenders um, on drug charges and stuff like that. There's this big movement, um, especially because we've decriminalized and it is different than legalization. It doesn't mean yeah. that like you can, you legalize and then you can control it. Right. And like, yeah. that means that if somebody wanted to shoot dope, they could go pick up dope and like shoot safe dope, mm -hmm. which is a solution, but yeah. you know, um, <laughs> why would we want to solve fentanyl issues? Right. Uh, but what it does mean is that we, um, you're removing barriers from people's lives because like at the end of the day, everybody uses something, whether it's caffeine, TV, masturbation, what have you, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Like porn, as yeah, creatures, we're hardwired for that addiction and it's mm -hmm. actually survival that, that that's from. Um, and rather than creating multiple offenders or, or creating more barriers to people in housing, employment and all these other things, um, we've determined that it's not worth our law enforcement's time, our taxpayers' money, our, our space in our, in our prisons to focus on these things. So mm -hmm. if you have personal use, which in most cases I think is under like, um, a pound, like it, it varies from thing to thing, but if it's definitely yeah. personal use, um, <laughs> then you, you're not going to go to prison for prison that. For it, yeah. It's not, um, the DA throwing everything they can stick at you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also means that if like you get pulled over for a taillight and you got like a little baggie of Coke or whatever on you, you're not going to go to jail and now be like out of your life for 30, 90, et cetera, et cetera days. And, yeah. um, and that is revolutionary. Like we, we need that change. And, um, I, I laugh because like, we're not selling mushrooms in the pot shops yet, but we are doing a lot of stuff with, um, ketamine and psilocybin therapies. Mm -hmm. And we have been for over a decade through OSU, OHSU, all these colleges that we have out here, but, um, mm -hmm. we're really able to pursue it. And there's like three companies, I believe that recently got, uh, the patents and permits to produce pharmaceutical ketamine for therapy. Okay. Um, and everybody's like, ketamine, isn't that the thing that like, you know, people go and tranquilizer, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, okay. Yeah. But no one, no one bats an eye at alcohol, right? Like mm -hmm. you can start drinking it in, in Portland. You can start drinking anytime, as long as it's not after like two, 3 AM, then there's nothing for you. But, um, you know, it's so normal to go get like breakfast booze and oh, lunch in Wisconsin? Booze yeah. in Wisconsin and dinner too. booze so. and but no one bats an eye at that but you yeah. know you mentioned these other things and they're like hmm that sounds dangerous <laughs> yeah and um you know psychedelics they do get a bad name because of like all the everything from the merry pranksters tim leary mm -hmm. the war on drugs the oh my gosh our children are saying they don't want to go to vietnam and fight in some stupid war conflict they want to mm -hmm. go to school and make things and be creative uh and um i think that the data has always been out there we're just finally getting to a point where we're utilizing these tools and i do think that drugs are tools mm -hmm. um and the army's been using uh, ketamine in the field for years. Well, they, they've been, our government are the best drug dealers. Um, they have the best. Amen. 
<laughs> That's have- why they don't want to legalize and mm-hmm. get it out in the dispensaries for people because then they'd have to give out all their drugs for free for, you know, for mm-hmm. safety measures and harm reduction. But, um, you know, like, uh, you go in the field, you get shot, they'll give you ketamine because it's a disassociative. It's not mm-hmm. that you're not in pain. Yep. It's, it's like, you're not panicking. You're not going to shock because yeah. of pain. And, uh, and the way it works is it is, it breaks those neuro pathways in your brain. Mm-hmm. It literally undoes those connections. And everybody's like, well, then aren't you just stupid? And I'm like, no, your brain's constantly building new, new neural pathways. You can make new habits. It's hella hard. Mm-hmm. And for people with like super, super, severe depressive disorders and things and all PTSD these. PTSD and. And a lot of these are dual diagnoses or, you know, who, the who compound, goes to the therapist yeah, yeah. to find out anyway. Um, and, and doctors aren't necessarily therapists that are able to dual dual diagnose and manage multiple things at once. So oftentimes you'll see people that are ADD on one thing, like Adderall and, or if you have high anxiety, you'll be on Zannies. It's like, there's usually something else going on. That's not a wraparound holistic method. That's why these things don't really fix issues. So in Oregon, they're doing these ketamine sessions where it's either a nasal spray or, or a drip or something you'll go in. Um, with a therapist and stuff. And, uh, it's kind of like the whole set and setting thing. They lay you down, you have a blanket, listen to your music, whatever. And you'll either have therapy right after, or like the next day. Mm-hmm. And it's a few sessions. And then, um, it, it's having life-changing events. And for, um, a lot of people, you know, I understand the hesitancy, mm-hmm. but imagine if you've always had a 50 pound weight on your back. And that's your daily anxiety and, and the inability to have high executive function. Mm-hmm. And um, you're able to take a, a few little hits and then all of a sudden, you know, that weight's immediately lifted. And when I did ketamine, that was the first thing I noticed. And I was always so cautious because I've seen people in K-holes and I'm like, are you lost? Yep. Are yep. you okay? <laughs> Um, and people are like, you know, just make sure you got some Coke on you so you can get out of that. And also, I'm like, yep. <laughs> and I'm always like, I'm, I'm the mom. I'm like, okay, guys, you know, thermogenics and you don't really want to do alcohol or take Tylenol because you're thinning your blood and like, yeah. don't want to like accidentally kill yourself. Like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cause harm reduction. Right. Yeah. Like, yep. Yep. And, um, so I'm like, well, what, imagine if you were actually able to, and I I am in therapy and have been for years, like Mm -hmm. to do. And you just started the ketamine therapy. Oh, I haven't done ketamine therapy, like officially. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not Um, in like the official capacity, but you tried it. And this last year, um, three, three rounds of making sure my therapy was lining up right after doing some ketamine, some really good ketamine. And, uh, <laughs> and it was just, it is crazy how productive you're able to be those things that, um, in my life can overwhelm and hinder. Cause I, I am not medicated. I am ADD. I am, mm-hmm. um, I have PTSD. I, I got other things going on and I'm neurodivergent and, mm-hmm. um, and it's a lot of work. It's every day. <laughs> it's so much work and it is every day. It's like, okay, it's like, how, how, are, how am I going to be today? And like, you could be fine when you go to bed and then you wake up and be a completely 
different person. Like I realized, like I just came out of like this three-year depression and, and I realized uh, w- what had kicked it was um, I finally decided to take some antidepressants. I've always been very antidepressant because I never wanted to be reliant on them kind of thing. And, and, and that was always my thing, but, I, but I've tried them on and off, but they've always made me more suicidal. And, yes. and, and more depressed, like every time I've taken them. And this time with my therapist, she's like, you got to try it for longer, like two months, tried it for two months. Um, and, and like, I didn't necessarily want to kill myself, but I was really thinking about like hurting other people, <laughs> which was very weird to me uh, because I was raised by a high functioning sociopath who allegedly used to kill people for money. So I was like, oh, is this in me too? Like, am I able to hurt other people and be okay with it? Granted, I was watching all 377 episodes of Criminal Minds. Well, all of a sudden I was like, I was my own meals and I was like, you know, going to work out and like, I'm being more productive. And it took me about a month to realize I'm like, holy shit, I'm not depressed anymore. I think that like when people like, cause I'm always in a depressive state, I think some people just have it in them, but I was like, I actually feel really good. So whatever those, whatever the fucking Zoloft did, once I stopped taking it, it like flipped the switch. And then all of a sudden I was like, I feel amazing taking ketamine as a form of therapy. Um, cause I partied with that. I used to party with it. Um, when I was younger in, in my twenties and being a raver, I used to date a guy who he loved, he loved ketamine and I was really big on Coke and meth at the time. So it was just a toxic relationship to begin with. <laughs> He'd be in a K hole. I'd be like, let's stay up for three days. Um, but I would see what it did. And the couple of times I did it, um, I would, you know, I excessively like too much, but, but there was one time I remember we went to a party and like, all I had was, okay, I'm like, I'm only going to do a little bit. And we were just doing a little bit. And I do remember just like having like a very euphoric feeling and, and not being like in a K hole or, or like, it always made me feel like I was going to throw up if I did too much of it. And I didn't like, I've never been big on downers, but I remember. And then towards the end of the night, when I, when it started getting later and I've done a bunch, then I started getting in like down a little bit and, and started feeling sick. But I was like, oh, like I can see how ketamine can help, especially in therapy. Like it's the same thing with like mushrooms. I like to take, um, I like the microdose on mushrooms. I also think that helped with my depression. Um, cause that helps like not just doing it to get fucked up basically, which is how I normally do all of my drugs. But this, I was like, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to microdose on some mushrooms and I'm going to write for an hour and see what comes out. And I know that you just get it all out and it does help. It does help tremendously. It, do, it really does. I, I, I also have ADHD and I like my Adderall. <laughs> it does. It does help with focusing. I try not to take it every day. Cause I, that's another thing. Like I don't want to have to be reliant on it. So that's, that's always my deal is to make sure I regulate (laughs) and don't get too reliant on things. I, I'm a big believer in like, uh, cycling things, everything from caffeine. Um, Mm. and again, like I, I, I tell people all the time, like I am in recovery. I I am a recovering alcoholic for sure. Um, people are like, but wait, I've drank with you before. And I'm like, yeah, socially. And, um, for me, and again, I say it again, harm reduction, harm reduction, harm reduction. You educate people. You don't, you don't 
uh, penalize them and stigmatize them. You don't discourage the sharing of information. If people are afraid to say like, I've dealt with this too. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's really hard to, it's hard being a performer, a dancer and all that to find places, venues that host dry events. Yeah, And it's one of those things, like if the community is not going to change and I'm, I'm active in the queer community in Portland. And like, I go to like all these clothing optional dance parties I'd be working or dancing at, um, or hosting things and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just a part of our life, sex, drugs, and all Rock that, and and, yeah. um, <laughs> especially if you get a bunch of queer babies together, it's like somebody, somebody's flipping, somebody's rolling, somebody's doing something or we're we got some GHB and, over here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, uh, I, I have a lot of talks about consent, especially being a sex worker. Like mm-hmm. you consent is sober. Like, like it has to be, cause mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, and it's people are like, Oh, don't say that. And I'm like, but for real, like if y'all are having sex, like it should be consensual. And if you're high or drunk, you're not consenting. You're not able, you might think you have those agencies, but it's, you might feel different later. Yeah. And, and that, uh, so for me, I've always come from the whole recovery is knowing that I have something that I deal with. I have this thing that can be a, a crutch or it can be a hurdle I have to overcome. And, um, I, I, one time when I lost somebody that was very important to me, like I drank for over a year and Mm -hmm. I, I swear I gained all my weight and, um, people were like, Oh, I just thought you knew you were getting bigger. And I'm like, yeah, like, and driving home drunk, like all. And I I told my friends at the time, I was like, you know, y'all would let me drive us drunk and I get out of every time I got pulled over or something, talk my way out of it. Never all those issues. But it's like Mm -hmm. how many fucking times, like I, like, and ultimately it came down to my friends were dealing with their own addictions and, you know, um, so I knew that in my life, I'm never going to be away from alcohol. Um, that I have to learn to how to live with it mm-hmm. and uh, have like a better relationship with it. Exactly. And my body actually can't handle drinking the way it used to. Uh, Mine it, either. It's, it's like, my doctors told me a few times, they're like, you know, if you keep doing this, one of these days you're, you're going to have a real bad. And I'm like, okay, I understand. <laughs> so like I put it way off and I only drink occasionally. Um, mm-hmm. and but even in then, like I worked in the brewing industry and I'd be out with clients and you're expected to drink, drink and this <laughs> and that, and you are, and being, um, you know, you know, just like in that industry, that's primarily cishet men. Um, mm-hmm. I was very much aware of, well, if I get a little too tipsy or any of that, like, it's not okay. And I don't know, I think with like ketamine, um, and any of these drugs, like, I used to do seven grams of mm-hmm. mushrooms. Like that was normal. Like we were psychedelic warriors, whatever, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, we got like L- LSA one time in a little Banaka bottle and we dropped some and they're like, oh, only take a couple hits. Cause it's really strong. And me and my buddy about an hour in, we're like, it's not working. Squirt, squirt. We do the, we call it the Banaka incident, but yeah, we were, we were gone for a minute. It was a, it was a long time and uh, we did the whole bottle. Uh, and I, I was at, uh, in Florida at Disney world and my girlfriend had brought me some um albino penis envy mushrooms okay and it was only like a gram I was like oh and and they were like chocolates I was like okay it was about a gram cool mm-hmm. those things I wanted off the ride like in like an hour I wanted off the ride I had to leave Disneyland or Disneyland I was like uh <laughs> this is not okay and um so 
it is funny um, because I've moved to cycling things um, so that they're more effective for me. And mm-hmm. like, I don't always have caffeine. I'll go like two weeks without it, but I'll use Yohimbe supplements, mm-hmm. which is similar. It does the same thing, but it moves through different ways in your body and it's processed mm-hmm. different. Um, and I think like those kind of tools or um, just places like Arrowwood where you can like research things or uh, when you go to places and they have test strips, especially with all the fentanyl now um, that's yeah. out there and everything pressed Addies uh, with fentanyl and all these things Which like is insane. <laughs> it is, it is. And it's, it's, it's symptomatic of the, the environment we're in. Yeah. I agree. Um, just like we always say, like cartels can be dealt with and these, you know, things can be dealt with. Well, yeah. And a big part of it is the community attitude has to change. They have to become more informed mm-hmm. and they have to actually understand because we have a culture that for the last 150 years has stigmatized and marginalized, like to further marginalize communities of, of people of color, poor immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, especially poor communities rather than, um, rather than actually accept the fact that like, it's just like abuse. It, it does mm-hmm. not know a social class. No, addiction. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no different than the white lawyer, you know, up in the rich house who like has to, you know, doing lines constantly compared to, you know, the inner city kid who's like smoking crack. There's no difference in, in the addiction, no. but the, the difference is how they're treated. Like the white person will get a slap on the wrist. Everything will be fine where the black kid will end up going to the system. And then, and then they're stuck there. It's like, once they're in that system, it's really hard to get out of that cycle. I've, I've noticed, I, I have a couple of friends who are, you know, ex-cons and stuff. And, and it took, it takes a lot to really just rebuild their lives and, and, and try not to be, you know, just seen as an ex-con. And that stigmatization of drug use impacts mm-hmm. the whole community, whether they realize yeah. it or not. And I just like, for example, when I was working needle exchanges, I would hear from people coming in that, you know, they wanted to get on like prep, Chivata, whatever, um, or, you know, they were, they were positive and they wanted to get treatment finally. And these doctors, not necessarily the ones in the clinic, but, um, these rural doctors, and I've seen it in cities too, mm-hmm. would say, well, you know, if you're still using, then this is not a good idea for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why? Because you think that, because the whole point about medicine, and if you read the labels, they're always like, when they prescribe you something, mm-hmm. your doctor is prescribing this because the, uh, risk, uh, the, the benefits outweigh the risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, HIV in the community. If you can, if you are willing to tell them like, you know, let's work like you don't think a, a junkie's gonna fucking wake up and and do the thing, right? Like it's always that attitude. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're you're just addicted. You're not gonna take your yeah, pills yeah. on time. Well, how about you give them a real thing that they can work with? Like, hey, when you wake up and you start using, take your pill and just yeah. write it down. Like, and and not get a schedule, but write down when you did this, and um, you know, let them know that like, yeah, there may be risks, but the risks are minimal compared to transmission in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's so ridiculous that, um, people trying to get these medicines that are going to save their life and prevent other people from having to deal with that Mm -hmm. in the medical community. Still to this day, there are doctors that will, if you admit that you use, won't give you the meds, won't won't give you access to the medicine you need to keep the whole community safe. Because if you think that only a certain type of people has sex, like, you know, all that stigma, (laughs) like, like, yeah, HIV is everywhere. And it's in 
all the communities because we're all sipping from the same fucking pool water, essentially. Yeah. Like we're all sipping from the same fountain. There's Six degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know, exactly. And um and and what do we deal with there? It's from the grid epidemic. Like it's having to fight the campaigns that damaged and stigmatized forever these communities, mm-hmm. even all these years later. Yeah. And uh and so I, I just go with that when, when people are talking about like, well, I don't want needle exchanges or I don't think that we should decriminalize or legalize or all these things. Um, and I'm like, well, then I don't know what to tell you. You really yeah. don't have a real grasp on how life is. Well, because- well, a lot of it has to do with like, they're afraid. I feel that a lot of people are afraid of, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh. And people are always afraid of stuff that they don't know. And the, like we have access to the internet, like they would rather play on Twitter than, you know, actually do some real research and look up how this stuff can be beneficial. Like look at the other countries that, you know, have like legalization or decriminalization. I mean, New York, we just, we have our first um, needle exchange here and, and I've had, it, it's very um, 50-50 right now how people feel about it, but a lot of people, um, one of my buddies, he, he's a former heroin addict. He's like, I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing. I think that it's a good thing. I think that it can help. And I think that that destigmatizing just drug use in general, like it's, it's very yeah. similar to sex work, like OnlyFans have definitely, you know, helped destigmatize, you know, for the most part, uh, <laughs> still always going to be called a whore, but I own it. Um but, but it is, but it does. And I, I do feel, I agree with you that it is going to take, um, it'll probably take a really long time, but I think the more people that, that educate themselves on it and, um, and the more that, that you just kind of have to force it on people, basically it's like, Hey, this is the thing that's happening and you're either going to be on board or you could just hate it and protest it later. Um, it's, it is insane. Um, how people will let fear and and the things that they are not um comfortable with dictate how they think everybody else should be yeah and it's we got to mitigate harm um in my opinion what what is it to you if we're giving out clean needles free uh you know tests and and access to healthcare and resources that are not being met in the community Mm-hmm. but like what is it to you at the end of the day you think it's some burden on you um mm-hmm. I remember the the thought was that if we had needle exchanges it was going to mean we were going to have more people strung out on the streets yeah um or if we decriminalize like if pot was made legal right when Colorado was the only state that had legal marijuana if pot was made legal it mm-hmm. meant that um you know all the other it was the gateway drug right like we we're gonna yeah, have yeah. everybody smoking meth by the uh, end of the year yeah everyone's gonna be stoned all our children are gonna be stoned but if you look at the countries that that have like weed that that's legalized like most like they don't give a fuck because it's legal like I always I want to do stuff that I'm not supposed to do <laughs> if, if drugs are illegal I'm going to want to do them more because I'm not supposed to do them that's the cool. American way exactly <laughs> and like in other communities you, you always do have those outliers in every mm-hmm. culture you'd have those people um you know and some cultures even called them soothsayers uh, medicine women, mm-hmm. shamans, Shaman. like, like there, there, there was a place like Maria Sabina and the mushrooms in Mexico. These are medicines and yeah. every mammal, I would argue that it's part of being mammalian. Every mm-hmm. mammal gets high, um, gets drunk. Like, uh, hark back to the stone ape theory with Terrence yep. McKenna and, and the McKenna brothers, but like 
it, it is part of being alive that we want to occasionally escape or elevate or change our reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you run, uh, if you run more than like a mile, if you do long distance running, I'm telling you, you're crazy. I've done uh, halves and marathons back in the day. And let me tell you, you hit 10 miles, you're high. You're right. high. <laughs> and so, uh, and I've been in church, I grew up, I, I was a believer twice. That's <laughs> uh, how vulnerable I am. But like, you know, praying and just being in the middle of like all that energy, it is, you get high. Yeah, yeah. Going to concerts, even if like they're you, everybody there is on an energy vibe, and that mm-hmm. that is a head change. And if you can understand that everybody is is using in some aspect, that we just want to reduce the harm and save people's lives, or give them tools that they can make better, educated decisions for themselves and those around us, and be able to do safer drugs as well. I think that's like I made two of my drug dealers buy the fentanyl strip. It is I'm, like, I'm like, you guys need this because I, a couple of my friends have died and stuff. I was just like, yo, I also learned to never do cocaine with LA comedians, but bad joke. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, but we, uh, uh but yeah, it's one hell of a drug. <laughs> it really, it's my favorite. It's my all time favorite. So, um, I try to stay away from it as much as humanly possible. Um, it's kind of hard in, in New York and even though it's fucking shit. Um, but yeah, I do get caught into it every once in a while. I've actually been clean from it. Well, since new year's, I can't, I guess I did some on new year's. Um, so, you know, for a couple of weeks, but I always keep track of like, when's the last time I did it. Is it okay? Cause I'll get, I'll get stuck doing it every day. Like I used to just little bumps there, you know, just it's like, Oh, Adderall helps with me not doing cocaine though, which is I had to get off the Adderall because like it is a stimulant, right? Like I've I've been on stimulants most of my life Mm -hmm. and um, because I got, I got medicated very young and learning to live without those things. And I'm not an absence person if you haven't gotten it. And um, (laughs) I'm Dr. Roxo and I do cocaine, Uh, but like, (laughs) but you know, it's, uh, I, I, a lot of people don't know that about me because Mm -hmm. I've, I've watched high functioning people like engineers in, in Silicon Valley who are meth heads, yeah. <laughs> but they work these crazy jobs and they're productive and they're family people and they, they have high functioning lives. Mm-hmm. I've watched alcoholics from male, female, all across the gender spectrum. Somebody's hitting that bottle and yep. they still go to work. They don't spend all their money at the bars and, you know, and as a sex worker, I've taken money from people and I, and I've had to cut people off when I'm like, you are impulsively spending money. I know you do not have. Yeah. And, and that, that's just my model in general. Like I I've done that too because I can't, I'm not that human. I want, yeah. Like I feel bad. Like I have that moral compass where it's just like, there was this lawyer and he had three kids and he just loved cocaine. And I was just like, yo, like I'm a whore, but I have some morals. And I'm like, you gotta no more, dude. We can't like you're spending Like, I love it. It's great. But yeah, like I also believe in karma. So I'm just like, this is, and especially when you know, you know, like if you know that someone is that fucked up and, and doesn't have that and you go and do it anyway, I always feel karma will get them sooner or later. I don't judge people when they're doing survival work. Yeah. But if you're taking people's money so you can like live beyond your means, not budget, yeah, have that thing that you really want because this is an easy hit. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I do judge that. I don't believe in hierarchy, yeah. but I do judge that. So, yeah. And I, I've had to, and I have in my mm-hmm. disclaimers when, when I book sessions or even with my friends, if like I end up with friends, cause I am on this mission to get people to like fucking do little bumps, itty bitty bumps. Don't do a K-hole. Like, let, let me just do this for you. Do itty bitty bumps. And like, yeah. let's yeah. talk about how you feel. And you know, um, <laughs> like, to really just change the way people have that relationship with the things that they use in their lives, mm-hmm. even social media. Like I tell people, all the time, I'm like, look, girl, you're, you're on yourself too hard. Put that shit down. down. Put it and, down. And I have a, a long two hours. I'm allowed two hours. Cause I also like, I do a lot of promoting and stuff, but it's like, cause you'll, you'll get stuck. Also, you're just scrolling and three hours went by and you're like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? I'm like, it's fucking Twitter. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like I have a worse addiction with social media than I do with cocaine. 120%. Like, absolutely. Yeah. I have to have that timer on. I always make sure I have like, I, I pre-plan my tweets and promotions. So that way they're there. When I scroll, I make sure I like the people's tweets or fucking Instagram posts. And then I'm done and then put it down, get it out of my fucking face. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I feel that. And, and at the end of the day, you're one person. We've not all been in this, like we've never been in this point in time as humans before. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think that abstinence or that like cancel drug culture, like, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that that's going to work. Um, a lot of it is definitely going to be education. And, mm-hmm. um, I've been telling people, um, you know, in Oregon, we can buy, we can buy Narcan can, we can go to the pharmacist and get a prescription for Narcan. And people are like, well, you don't, you don't use. And I'm like, yeah, I know I don't use those drugs, but it's like, I know how to do CPR. Thank if you. I had to perform CPR on a stranger, I would in a life-saving moment, like, <laughs> Why wouldn't I carry Narcan if I can get it, have it and save a life? Like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what that life is and what they're doing with that life. I'm not the person that judges that, like, and nor should Mm -hmm. anybody else. Yeah. It's that, you know, what if they didn't know? What if it was an accident? Like, there's so many things I've lost people because, you know, just not knowing what was in their drugs or, you know, they go clean for a bit, they get out of rehab, they come back and they're like, putting out their same fucking or like when you when you don't party but every like few months and then all of a sudden you're like trying to do these really big lines I'm like so when's the last time you did what I always remind people I'm like the lethal dose is six grams or (laughs) like 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 you know, maybe you only get two if you think you're going to do the yeah. whole thing. But, but that's, that's how like an addict's brain works. It's like, oh, I, I used to be able to do this much. Like I used to be able to drink a bottle of vodka a night and like drive home and be fine. My, my buddy, um, Lainey knows him as well. Like he had died uh, from Xanax, from taking too much Xanax. Like he was clean. And then he tried, he used again and he tried doing the exact same amount that he used to. And, and his body couldn't handle it. Like, like now I get have, two glasses of wine and be hammered. Like I cannot drink the same (laughs) over quarantine. I actually, I was, I was pretty good at drinking again, drinking at home, like a true alcoholic. And then, yeah, after a little while, it took me a while to like get acclimated back into society and stuff. But yeah, now I'm back to like one and a half beers at a show and I'm like, oh, I'm done. I'm like, yes, thank you. (laughs) And that's recovery right there. Like you were aware of the things that can Mm -hmm can change your life in the ways that maybe you don't want or the things that you use as a crutch and yeah 
just doing better than the day before and keeping your blind spots a parent, right? Yeah, like knowing they're there. <laughs> and like, so, and I think that's the best thing that we can do. And also normalize talking about it because the only yeah. way we're going to save people is if we talk about it, like, and I, and I take every opportunity I can. Um, and I was on psych meds for years and all mm-hmm. these things like mood stabilizers, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. sleeping aids. And as a person yeah. with periods, my birth control was always a fucking bitch. And yeah. I was not present. I was, I, I mean, I have an emergency Zami that I yeah. keep in case. And, uh, and, but like last time I, I really like Xanax. beta blockers. I really, I have beta blockers for, mm-hmm. um, for my anxiety. Cause I also have Xanax and I hate it. Like I'm not a big fan yeah. of Xanax at all. Like the most of the time I do the Xanax is if I done too much Coke and I need to go to sleep. That's what I use fucking Xanax for, uh, <laughs> which is not what you should be using fucking Xanax for. But I've noticed I really, cause they're not, a, like they're not a narcotic mm-hmm. and they, they actually like work. Like when I take Xanax, like I still have that anxiety. It, it's like, it's like my brain slow down, not my heart. And yeah. that, and, and the propanol or whatever that actually like that calms my heart down. And that's what I need to be calm. And so that, yeah, I rather take my beta blockers than, um, than fucking Xanax. Highly recommend it. <laughs> I'll have to try that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, you don't get fucked up all of a sudden you're just like, oh, I'm calm again. And like they, they use it. Um, it's like a stage fright drug. Like you get, it'd be like the stage yeah. fright drug. Um, when I first started comedy, like, like for the first couple, like really big shows that I had, my, my doctor's like, oh, here, try this. And I was like, oh my God, my performances just were so much better because of it. Um, but yeah, now I just take it. If I have like a little like anxiety or a panic attack, I've noticed that, um, yeah, they work phenomenal for that. So that's what I like. <laughs> that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. If, especially if you don't like Xanax, um, yeah, try the, try the beta blockers. Well, it's been, um, fucking phenomenal having you on. You're so smart. You have so much information. Um, uh, very informative. Thank you so much for coming on. And this is what this podcast is, is about is to help like bring out, you know, tell people stories and, and get it out there more and, uh, talking about drugs. I have more people from all walks of life, you know, talk about their issues with drugs, how, how they got clean, how they still like to use recovery, um, harm reduction and all that stuff. So you're a perfect guest. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I'm really you- excited to yeah. like, be out in New York in a couple of weeks too. Uh, I'll, I'll make notes. You said the cocaine sucks in New yeah, York. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I mean, I have, I have a couple of good dealers. Um, if you really do, I could, I could help you out with that. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Let me know. I'll, I'll bring you to a show or something like that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. I always love listening to you and like, Oh, the things that you're doing and comedy is like, you know, that's where all the real hard workers go to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Oh yeah, definitely. TheBabeWest.com has all my links. Um, and then you can always find me at TheBabeWest on Twitter and Instagram and BabeWestXXX.com. If you want to go hit up my free site, while it's still free. While it's still free. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, let me know when you come to New York. I would love to meet you in person. I'll be out there for Valentine's Day. Ooh, nice. Very nice. <laughs> well, thank you day. so much again. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Um, obviously, you can find me, the Aaliyah Janine, on Twitter, Aaliyah.Janine on Instagram. You can find this wonderful podcast also on social media. 
how to do drugs pod on Twitter and Instagram. Um, please rate and subscribe to this awesome podcast. I don't ask for it enough, um, which is why I probably don't have any, uh, but you can listen on Apple podcast, Spotify. Uh, I just added it to iHeartRadio for any of you iHeartRadio listeners. Um, and also YouTube, if you would like to see how I look uh, without makeup on, um, or not, that's fine. I don't mind. Probably better, honestly. And uh, all right, that's it. Bye.